Greetings, and thank you for joining our Bible study and reflection for April 28, 2021. Today we're going to discuss the fear of God, but also the characteristics of God, as well as how Jesus described his own heart. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear God, our heavenly provider, today we thank you for the gift of your word. Through your Holy Spirit, help us to learn, love, and live your word. As part of your church, equip us to feed your sheep. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I remember growing up, my gamma would mention the fear of God And I remember being very frightened and concerned about that statement, that we were supposed to fear God. Why would anyone want to be afraid of our Creator, who in my mind was supposed to be a loving God? What should be my takeaway regarding God's character after I was told I must fear Him? The following is a little more insight I gleaned from the Lexham Bible Dictionary regarding fear of the Lord. They define it as a religious expression conveying either devotional piety or the dread of punishment. The term Lord in this context refers to God. In biblical relevance, here's what they had to say about that. The act of fearing God is discussed throughout the Old Testament. The concept, fear of the Lord, occurs most prominently in the Old Testament's wisdom literature, where it is described as both the beginning of wisdom, as in Proverbs 9.10, and the responsibility of all humanity, as seen in Ecclesiastes 12.13. Here's a reading from Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And here is a reading from Ecclesiastes. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The fear of the Lord motif occurs in three distinct ways in the Old Testament. Number one, as an expression of corporate Israelite religion. The religious system of worshiping God, fear of the Lord, is an essential component of Israel's theology. It essentially means faith in God. Number two, as a description of personal piety, the act of worshiping and obeying God. And number three, as an identification of a religious person, that is a worshiper of God. Joseph identifies himself as a God-fearer, when he is reunited with his brothers. And that can be seen in Genesis chapter 42, verse 18. Jonah similarly identifies himself as a God-fearer when he is questioned by the sailors. And you can find that reading in Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. Some of the key occurrences of the phrase fear of the Lord in the Old Testament include Genesis 22, when Abraham sets out to obey God's command to sacrifice Isaac, and he is stopped by the angel of God 
The angel says, For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son. Here the fear of God is demonstrated through Abraham's perfect moral obedience to God. Another example is found in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. And it begins with the statement, So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? The answer is five commands. To fear God, to walk in his ways, to love God, to serve God, and to keep his commandments. All of these are expressions of reverence to God. Fearing the Lord occurs first and summarizes the act of carrying out the other four expressions of obedience. Another is Job. Job is introduced as perfect, just one who feared God and avoided evil. That can be found in Job chapter 1, verse 1. Later, when God discusses Job with the Satan, he refers to these same characteristics. However, it is Job's fear of God that Satan questions and attacks. Satan argues that if God takes away Job's wealth, Job will deny God. After this fails, God again acknowledges Job as a God-fearer. The New Testament also contains several references to the fear of the Lord. For instance, Acts chapter 9 verse 31 records that after Saul's conversion, the entire church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. The New Testament writings also mention a group of people known as the God-fearers. One of them was Cornelius the centurion. In the time of the New Testament, the term God-fearers referred to Gentiles who worshiped God and adhered to Jewish laws. Well, at this point, I'm, I'm sure you're wondering whether I'm going to spend all of our time today talking about the fear of God, and I'm not, because I want to shift to some of the characteristic attributes of God. As a matter of fact, I think it best we go straight to the source and hear what God has to say some of his characteristics are. I just finished reading a book titled Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. I was given this book as a gift by a couple who are dear friends of mine, and they actually model the title of being gentle and lowly. In this book, Dane asks the question, Who is God? And he answers it this way. If we could pick only one passage from the Old Testament to answer that question, it would be hard to improve upon Exodus 34. God is revealing himself to Moses, causing his glory to pass by Moses, whom God has put in a cleft in the rock. This reading is found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. Here is the reading. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The literal translation in Hebrew for slow to anger is long of nostrils. Now, if you will, picture an angry bull pawing at the ground, breathing loudly, nostrils flared. That would be, so to speak, short-nosed, but the Lord is long-nosed. He doesn't have his finger on the trigger. It takes much accumulated provoking to draw out his anger. Unlike us, who are often emotional dams ready to break, God can put up with a lot. This is why the Old Testament speaks of God being provoked to anger by his people. So, here is God answering our question. The first two words God uses to describe who he is are compassionate or merciful and gracious. God does not reveal his glory as the Lord, the Lord, exacting and precise, or the Lord, the Lord, tolerant and overlooking, or the Lord, the Lord, disappointed and frustrated. His highest priority and deepest delight and first reaction is merciful and gracious. He gently accommodates himself to our terms rather than overwhelming us with his. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness is covenant language. It is part of God's promise to his people. Quite often it's important to look at several different translations when you're reading scripture. In the NIV translation, the word steadfast is omitted, but it is included in the NRSV. I would never second-guess the translators, but in my opinion, the word steadfast is important in the overall understanding of this verse. There is one Hebrew word underlying the English phrase steadfast love, and that word is hesed, which refers to God's special commitment to people with whom he has gladly found himself in an unbreakable covenant bond. The word faithful addresses that as well. Therefore, he is not simply existing in large heart and covenant commitment, but abounding in it. His determined commitment to us never runs dry. Now let's take a look at the phrase, the love to a thousand and punishing third and fourth generations. Here is Dane Ortland's interpretation of that, and I quote, Keeping steadfast love for thousands. This could equally be translated, keeping steadfast love to thousand generations, as explicitly stated in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. This does not mean that his goodness shuts off with generation number 1001. It is God's own way of saying, there is no termination date on my commitment to you. You can't get rid of my grace to you. You can't outrun my mercy. You can't invade my goodness. My heart is set on you. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This closing element, though initially hard to hear, is vital, and on reflection fosters further comment. Comfort, excuse me. Without it, all that has come before might be misunderstood as mere leniency. But God is not a softy. He is the one perfectly fair person in the universe. Sin and guilt pass down from generation to generation. We see this all around us in the world. But notice what God says. His covenant love flows down to a thousand generations, but he visits generational sins to the third or fourth generation. Do you see the difference? Yes, our sins will be passed down to our children and grandchildren, but God's goodness will be passed down in a way that continually swallows up all our sins. His mercies travel down a thousand generations, far eclipsing the third or fourth generation. Now let's hear what Jesus had to say about his own heart and his character. Let's look at how Jesus characterizes himself in the book of Matthew. This is found in chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. Here is the reading. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Depending on what translation you read from, you may notice that Jesus either says he is gentle and humble of heart, but some translations read gentle and lowly. Either way, very comforting words to hear. Now, in closing, it gives me great comfort knowing that God is not an angry God by nature and does not arbitrarily dish out punishment. He is not some thundering, terrifying voice from the clouds. What we need to be fearful of is devising our own plan, effectively placing God's plan on the back burner. I do believe it's important to share what the fear of God means, as well as the characteristics of God and Jesus. A great example of being punished for devising our own plan is found in Psalm 81. In essence, God is saying, try it your way if you'd like, but it's not going to turn out well. I'm only reading three verses of Psalm 81, but you'd be well served to read the entire psalm. It's only 16 verses. Here's a reading starting at verse 10. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father and most gracious God, we thank you for your word that both convicts and comforts us. Help us always, Lord, to interpret your word correctly and not add to or take away anything from it. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.